0: Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop after this message. Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab-tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. And now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com. Hi,
1: and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and excited about today's show. We're going to talk about pain today. Nearly every debilitating illness or injury has that one symptom in common. Even if it's not caused by something serious, pain itself can be debilitating. There are hundreds of over-the-counter products and opiates that alleviate pain but they seldom address the underlying conditions that cause it. When the pain returns, we reach for more medicine for temporary relief, and when it returns again, and usually it does, we reach for even more. It's a vicious cycle. What most people don't know is that prolonged use of any pain medicine can cause serious health consequences. Last month, we learned from Dr. Stephen Korn that even common over-the-counter drugs like aspirin and acetaminophen can cause serious problems with the liver and kidneys over time. Furthermore, prescription painkillers are literally killing people every single day. In fact, we now know just how dangerous and addictive they are. What we're beginning to understand about cannabis is that not only does it alleviate pain, it also helps to address some of the underlying conditions. A 2010 study at the IRCCS Neurological Institute in Italy suggests that Activation of the endocannabinoid system could represent a promising therapeutical tool for reducing both the physiological and inflammatory components of migraine headaches. An earlier study conducted by researchers at the University of Georgia found that endocannabinoids serve as a synaptic circuit breaker and regulate multiple physiological and pathological conditions that cause pain. In fact, cannabis can also assist assist with the regulation of appetite, immune system modulation, inflammation, cancer, epilepsy, and a host of other neurological and autoimmune responses. Other studies have concluded that cannabis can help to curb addiction to painkillers and solve underlying problems like depression, which can also lead to addiction. In short, Whether you suffer with chronic pain or just occasional headaches, cannabis may provide safe and effective relief without any of the debilitating consequences of synthetic pain medicine. That's the topic of today's show, and I'm excited to bring on our guest who knows a lot about this topic. But first, Dr. Brian Donner has our Medical Marijuana Minute. What do you have for us today, Dr. Donner?
2: Thank you, Snowden. Today, I wanted to speak briefly about the opiate epidemic in our country and its relation to medical cannabis. This topic is something that hits home for me personally and one that should get even more attention than it already does. I've said it before, as an attending emergency physician, I can definitively say that I can't go through one single shift without seeing a patient who was brought in because of an opiate overdose. Week in and week out, I come face to face with people in their lives which are devastated or lost because of opiates. With more than 200,000 lives lost to opiates in this century alone, We have reached a critical mass and have no choice but to pursue less dangerous treatment options to managing pain. Right now, unfortunately, as a society, we do not have an answer for this ongoing epidemic. However, from evidence that is already starting to build, medical cannabis may be a realistic and viable alternative. Not only is medical marijuana proving to be effective in treating a wide range of chronic pain and inflammatory conditions, there is also mounting evidence that it can help reduce the symptoms associated with opiate withdrawal. Our society is desperate for a safe and effective alternative to pain management and to stop the opiate epidemic and the lives that are being lost. Medical cannabis may be part of the solution to this problem and it needs to absolutely be explored further. With more education and research on the horizon, I am hopeful that medical practitioners will begin to integrate medical marijuana as an alternative treatment option for patients suffering with chronic pain and opiate addiction. I'm Dr. Brian Donner for The Cannabis Reporter. I'll be back again next week with another Medical Marijuana Minute. Back to you, Snowden.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Donner. With that, let's get started. So we have a returning guest today who first appeared on our show last year with NFL champion Marvin Washington to discuss cannabis as an alternative therapy for football players. Dr. David Tonkins is a board certified anesthesiologist with specialties in pain management, addiction, and minimally invasive spine surgery. He's also one of the few physicians who actively advocates for medical marijuana as a safe and effective alternative for treating pain. Welcome back Dr. Tonkins. I'm I'm so happy you could come back to us today.
3: It is good to talk. You haven't seen you for boy, two
1: or three months now. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm just so grateful that you could come and talk to us about this today because it is such an important topic and it, we've touched on it over the months, but it, we really haven't dedicated an entire episode to pain. And I know that this is your area of expertise. And so before I start asking you and drilling you <laughs> on on pain management with cannabis, um, for those who haven't heard your first interview with us... Just explain a little bit about how you became interested in cannabis as an alternative to treating pain.
3: I actually have a couple pain uh, clinics around the country, and my wife and I were wondering if uh, if there's actually any legitimacy to uh, medical marijuana in treating pain. Being brought up in Pennsylvania, a small town, we always you know had the marijuana was bad, and bad people would use marijuana and things like that, and trying to get over the stigma of uh, medical marijuana was tough. But once we started looking into all the research that's been done uh, with medical marijuana, it's, it's pretty impressive. Uh, it, it actually does work for pain. So the two, two, I was, I'm actually in Springfield, Missouri this uh, week. Um, last week, I was in our Myrtle Beach location. Unfortunately, there's no medical marijuana in the states of Missouri or uh, South Carolina, so we're unable to um, recommend it in those states. But uh, we started looking at all the research, and it was compelling. And uh, states that we don't have we have clinics in that, aren't, that medical marijuana is not allowed or legal. We started using CBD, and uh, CBD has uh, done wonders for our patients. Uh, I could actually they're actually closing one of my uh, clinics right now, cleaning up. But I could go grab one of the nurses. There was a young lady that came in today. that had Parkinson's. She was fairly young and advanced Parkinson's. She could not even stand still or hold anything. Or even a cup of coffee because it was just spilling all over the place. So we gave her uh, CBD sublingually, and I had her. She was a new patient. Told her exactly what we were doing, and had her sit in the room for 20 minutes. And we kept on walking by the room and peeking in. And uh, in 20 minutes, she was standing there, still, still as you or I, you know, could do, and uh, not no tremor at all. And uh, the nurses and, and the patient were just. Dumbfounded that uh, she's on all these medications for Parkinson's and actually one dose of CBD and she was uh, calm as you or So we started using this oh, about last summer, using it for pain, and we started doing some in office clinical work and seeing if it, if it actually worked. We told the patients what it was. The CBD we were using didn't actually have any case in it at all because it's illegal in these states, and we started monitoring. Um, if they were able to reduce the amount of opioids they were using. And we're talking people with uh, some severe pain. A lot of patients, we broke them up into um, three groups. Two of them were actually pain groups. One was uh, patients that had back surgery. The other ones were people that have fibromyalgia. And they were able to decrease their their amount of opioids they were using up to 60% in, in one month. The wow. other thing is we also gave, I know you were talking about, um, or Dr. Donner was speaking about, um, addiction and cravings and treatments for opioid use disorder. And we gave the last group was um, a group that takes Suboxone, a buprenorphine-containing product used for opioid and heroin addiction. And uh, they actually, we gave the ten patients in one week. Four of the patients returned all their Suboxone, said they didn't need anything but the CBD. Mm-hmm. So um, in those states, we're using CBD. In the other states, you know, it's compelling that you know the medical marijuana actually um, helps with pain. The, the Decrease in the deaths is anywhere from twenty-five to thirty percent where there's uh, dispense, you know, legalized dispensing of medical marijuana. So, in um, the research continues, which is a good thing.
1: Right. Well, it's fascinating to me that this is just using CBD without any THC that you're you're seeing such astonishing results. Really.
3: Absolutely. Um, and um, we are actually, I think, we have four clinics opening up um, in the next six months around the country, and those clinics that have uh, medical marijuana, we uh, most likely will be uh, given, uh, you know, the recommendation cards for the medical marijuana. Um, there, you know, there are a couple negative things with medical marijuana. That, you know, um, people are being treated for being um, addicted to the, the marijuana or trying to get off of the marijuana, but the overwhelming evidence so far is that it's uh, great for pain, that there's uh, much less death. And also, you know, in states there are medical marijuana dispensaries. The actual illegal drug dealers—they're kind of causing a problem because they're mixing their their marijuana you buy off the street with uh, medications and um, substances that are um, killing people. Just trying to compete with the legalized dispensaries. So there are a couple um, negative things about it. But you know, using pain—it works very, very well for the addiction. Conflicting scientific evidence, Uh, CBD uh, actually helps with the cravings. Even a single dose can decrease your cravings for up to two weeks. Um, The thing they're trying to debate right now is the THC part of it because it seems like the THC part of medical marijuana actually works on a reward system, which may encourage um, legal uh, drug use and things like that. So using it for uh, addiction, um, I think it's still... Um, investigating that, but I know the C- CBD actually uh, decreases the cravings and things, so and withdrawal symptoms. We sometimes use it here when we're inducing people with Suboxone to bridge them in between the periods when they last use the heroin or the uh, opioids and the time that we can induce them. When you induce someone with Suboxone, they have to be in moderate amount of withdrawal, and a lot of addicts that's what the, they're scared of is going into withdrawal. So if we're able to alleviate a lot of the cravings and the, the side effects of the withdrawal, um, the patients are more likely to go on with the therapy and initiate the therapy. So it's been very beneficial to us.
1: Yeah, and one of the recent shows, Dr. Berman was talking about the treatment centers and, and how a lot of people who are coming off of um, hardcore addiction to uh, heroin or, or other opiates and they're in a treatment center, they're not allowed to have any kind of psychotropic chemical, if you will, in their body at all during their treatment time. Otherwise, it invalidates their insurance and a host of other problems. But what she was finding in working with addicts was sort of interesting, that essentially they, they respond really well. If they're very... Um, going through serious serious withdrawals the THC actually um calmed them down yeah yeah really alleviated some of those those terrible symptoms that they were having so it was just very interesting but because the nature of treatment and whether or not it's covered by insurance you know they were having a problem with um even introducing that as a as an alternative for those people um do you think that that's going to be an issue moving forward? And is that something that you've had to deal with as well in Missouri?
3: We, we haven't because there is no legalized marijuana in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you, I was just I don't know, two or three weeks ago, I was down at the NBA All-Star Game in New Orleans. And I was talking to a friend uh, named Jason Williams. He played for the Nets and played in the NBA for quite some time. He actually has a rehabilitation center down in Florida that has 200 beds. Then another one, it has, I believe, 10-bit, and he is uh, going to start using CBD actually in his his rehab facilities for exactly what you're talking about. I can see some benefit of using uh, medical marijuana in that acute stage um, when they start getting off and, you know, going through the withdrawal and the detoxification, the acute stage, Um, but our our goal, you know, in medicine is to get them off everything. Right. Um, And including medical marijuana and CBD or Suboxone. Our goal is to get them off everything. And, uh, you know, part of the the treatment is behavioral health. So getting them psychological care and ways to deal with um, with the the pressure that use um, drugs and uh, get them out of the environment and all that kind of good stuff is our goal. So our goal is to get them off everything and get them back to a productive life and being a productive parent and, um, you know, out in society. But acutely, there probably is some benefits to using uh, medical marijuana just for the withdrawal to get them through that acute phase that um, is is the toughest. And then with therapy and um, other modalities, um, let's get these people um, back to being productive people.
1: Yeah. And then moving on to pain, because, you know, a lot of the addiction that we see in this country starts with treatment for pain, conventional treatment of pain with opiate painkillers. And, um, I mean, even with aspirin and Tylenol and Advil and all of that, I mean, it seems that pain is just such an incredibly debilitating problem to begin with, and then couple that with the addiction on top of it. But you've had some success with treating pain with CBD. Is that right?
3: Absolutely. It works, um, wonderfully. Um, when you the patients are um, asking about stuff, usually we give them about uh, 25 milligrams, and they can really, really um, show a difference in their pain levels and things. You're, you're right. You know, in the NFL, as you know, Marvin and in my uh, friend Josh Kenny, who played in one World Series with the uh, the Cardinals and stuff. You know, they're uh, other than opioids, they use Toradol a lot in their locker room, and that just kills your um, kidneys.
1: Yeah. Everybody's
3: always just you know, worried about the, you know, all the professional athletes and opioids. Actually, the NSAIDs and the family of NSAIDs is really uh, causing havoc on uh, these professional players. So um, giving them an alternative um, and if, you know, the NBA, the NFL and everything's worried about the THC component of it, actually being able to give something that's non-psychotropic like CBD, non-habit-forming, addicting, or the biggest thing that you know, with all these overdoses is the respiratory depression that you have with opioids and when, when you mix them with benzodiazepines, medicines like Xanax, Clonopin, Ativan, things like that, um, that's the deadly combination there. So being able to offer uh, a supplement, uh, right now I guess it's called a supplement, we'll see here in the near future, but that um, won't re- depre- decrease your respirations is is vital for the safety, you know, and the welfare of the patients out there. So there are alternatives out there. We just need to uh, get the education and the research in front of the right people, so um, our patients can benefit.
1: Yeah, and and how is that going? By the way, um, I know that the last time I spoke with Marvin. Um, he was really actively seeking to go to the NFL and raise this issue. Do you have any follow up on that?
3: Um, I spoke to Marvin this past weekend. I know they're doing a huge um, research up to Harvard at Harvard University. Um, I haven't heard anything else. And believe it or not, I might be talking to Marvin tonight, and I'll I'll make sure I um, uh, get that information and in email or call you directly. But um, I'm hoping hoping so, you know. And here's the thing that and I preach.
1: like CTE and other traumatic brain injuries, the opiate addiction can actually exacerbate the degenerative nature of the problem, correct?
3: Absolutely. Other than you know, neurologically, um, people fail to realize that um, opioids affect so much of your body. They affect the neuroendocrine system. Um, your hormone levels um, are usually off, and your doctor should be checking your hormone levels every three to six months to see if they're affecting them. So um, it's, it's just not the psychotropic effects. It's physiologically affected that um, opioids um, are, you know, influencing or interrupting, and no one really ever talked about those things. But uh, there's no long-term studies ever in the whole world that ever showed that long-term use of opioids is something, you know, beneficial. There's other alternatives. We mm-hmm. always try to find out what the underlying pathology is, to their pain, and then fix it without anything. With you know, if they need surgery. They need physical therapy. If they need um, in interventions like injections or procedures. Um, but last thing is to start opioids. But the problem is, um, for years and years and years, doctors have been prescribing, prescribing, prescribing. As you know, when I usually um, when I talk to you is these family doctors or even specialists. They start. They have five or six minutes to see the patient. And the number one reason people go to the emergency rooms or the doctors is because of pain. Right. And the doctors trying to take care of their high blood pressure, diabetes, their stroke, everything else. And the pain person just says, I, I hurt more, and they keep on elevating. And in 10 seconds, write a script for their pain medicines and then start directing their attention to their other comorbidities. So um, over the years, these people never get help. Um, the milligrams of morphine or whatever they're taking goes up. And then before you know it, you have a problem. And then Mm -hmm. the doctor says, I don't feel comfortable writing for these medications anymore. The patient has a problem, and the patient's in a situation. They're back against the wall. And a lot of times there's no one to help them where, um, you know, my company tries to help them with all that. But there are so many alternatives out there other than opioids, and they should be our last um, straw when absolutely everything else is failed
1: yeah and and it's funny because the um, opiate addiction it doesn't carry with it the same kind of stigma as just even moderate marijuana use for example or um or addiction to heroin and it's it's very very common it's, i mean more common than anybody really cares to admit
3: yeah they um you know they say this is like two thousand and fourteen this is statistics, that 3,900 people start non-medical use of prescription opioids daily.
1: Yeah.
3: 580 uh, people every day start um, heroin use. And people that start heroin use were um, four out of five people, they started using painkillers. That's how they kind of got to that, where 10 years ago it was like one out of five. So it, I think, you know, I always tell everybody 80% of the problem is. Opioid epidemic is the physicians. The physicians that have to have the backbone to say enough's enough and stop this uh, silly, you know, trying to make everybody happy and your patient happy because you're worried about their Prescani scores or their your satisfaction scores. Yeah. Um, you need to you need to put a stop to it and get them help. And it's, I think, it needs to be a four four prong approach to solving this problem. Number one, the biggest problem is the physician. Number yeah. Two is we have to have law enforcement working with the physicians. And the third part of it is the pharmacy. So the pharmacies need to start stop just you know, questioning these doctors what they're doing and quit just putting as much medicine as the doctor writes in the bag. They need to call up and see if there's actual real pathology or real reasons the patients need um, medications at all opioids or the amount they're using. So the pharmacies need to start being By the time the patient has a problem, you know, they're not the ones going to stand up and say I got a problem, but the families.
1: think that education will help in that regard as well. But, you know, something else that I find really um, curious as to why physicians don't actually go more for the underlying cause of the pain as opposed to just putting a Band-Aid on the pain. You know, I mean, yeah. traditionally.
3: Absolutely. And I'll tell you, some of the- right physical therapy, they wouldn't need to be taking anything. But the state of Missouri, refu- med- like Medicaid specifically, refuses to pay for physical therapy, but they'll pay, you know, hundreds of dollars for an opioid. They just puts the bandage on it. Right. So in a lot of people that say they're pain, doctors have absolutely no training in, in pain. Um, I'm a board-certified anesthesiologist, and we were very limited on how uh, we knew how to treat pain when I was in residency.
1: present them with some other alternatives.
3: Absolutely. And,
1: and hopefully regulation will catch up with um, patient demand and and the demand of doctors like you who actually know um, the truth of, of how this works.
3: I have a question for you, and you might be able to, because you get to deal with this every single day. So um, I know the U.S. government, they're going back and forth and getting conflicting um, statements out of the government consider medical marijuana recreational marijuana legal, but have you, I've never heard, but have you ever heard of a doctor that actually gives a recommendation for medical marijuana getting uh, being arrested or sanctioned because it's still a federal offense um, for a doctor to write for medical marijuana, but have you ever heard of a doctor being disciplined for writing medical marijuana?
1: You know, I've I've heard about it, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, I know that by law they're not allowed to prescribe because the word prescribe has a very specific meaning. It means that you are, um, you know, prescribing something that has to be purchased at a pharmacy, and there's usually a specific dose and that sort of thing. But what I do know and understand from Colorado and all of the other states where medical marijuana is is legalized, you. It, you have to have a recommendation, not in Colorado anymore where adult use is legalized, but when they started out with their medical program and in almost every other state that has a robust medical marijuana program, what my understanding is is that doctors need, you, you, a patient must be seen by a doctor who makes a recommendation, and that is written into the state law. And I know that for Arizona, for example, Um, in order to become uh, licensed to purchase medical marijuana, you must first be seen by a doctor. And if it were illegal, which it is federally for a doctor to prescribe it, if it were illegal for a doctor to recommend it, then the very nature of that program would put the doctors in jeopardy of um, uh, violating their own Fifth Amendment rights. (laughs) You know, it's like a self-incriminating thing. And I think that there are a number of physicians out there who are still afraid of that happening because the law is very explicit. But, you know, when you're in a state where it's required that you have a recommendation from a physician before you can even become licensed to purchase medical marijuana, um, certainly the doctors for making that recommendation... um, wouldn't be arrested by anyone in the state. Now with the current political climate and the, the change of administration, it seems like the stance on on cannabis is going to be a lot more rigid. So I you know the jury's still out on whether or not they're really going to act on what has been ver- verbalized, which is they're going to start going after um, states that have legal marijuana and I really don't know what that means, and it's a little bit scary for those in the industry and for those who depend upon medical cannabis for their healing. But, you know, I think that making a recommendation is not going to put a doctor in jeopardy at this point because um, it's just a recommendation. It's not like literally prescribing them a dose. It's recommending that a patient seek out something other than what they can provide.
3: We're going to have to work together and, Start educating not just the, the public but the doctors because you have a great forum.
1: Thank you. It's a good forum for sure. I mean, and just by nature of being an editor of a, of a cannabis publication, I hear about things a lot. And I'm a voracious reader when I hear of something that doesn't sound right or if it sounds like it's an injustice or whatever. I'll research it. You know, I'll stay up uh, 13 hours after my bedtime just to know all of the facts. (laughs) So I I think that with what we're doing right now, educating people who are on the fence about cannabis or um, skeptical or just unaware is really the best thing that we can do at this point because, you know, like I said, eventually the the federal law is going to have to catch up with patient demand. I mean, it really is going to have to do that. We've got a major system in our body that is seldom addressed in medical school. In fact, you're the first person who told me that the endocannabinoid system was not even covered when you went to medical school. They didn't even mention it. Nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. And I think it's changed a little bit. Um, Another... Um, sort of informal study was done where, you know, just by a telephone bank calling up and talking to um, medical school administrators and admissions personnel to find out if there's a specialty in the endocannabinoid system. And um, all but 13% said, what, you know, what is that? And then of those 13%, they They knew what it was, but they said there are no courses on specifically that. In fact, there may be only a couple of mentions of the word cannabis in any course whatsoever throughout medical school, and it's just astonishing to me.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, hopefully things will be changing here quickly. (laughs) I
1: hope so, because there are so many people who can be helped. I actually got a call today from... uh, Dr. Naz Dadal who is a concierge doctor here in in Phoenix and he called me to just say how amazing um, The revelations are for people who are just complete skeptics and in very vague terms without divulging any identities he told me that he had a 94 year old patient who was in terrible pain chronic pain she had been suffering immensely for quite some time and her her daughter was extremely worried because the pain was making her so depressed she wasn't eating, she wasn't sleeping, she was just in constant pain. But apparently she was a school teacher and, and back in the 1950s one of her students um, was completely flipping out for some reason and, and he was very erratic and and he said that he was having a trip of some sort and he said that he had taken some marijuana and so from that point forward she was an absolute um skeptic and and you know vehemently opposed to any kind of medical marijuana or marijuana regulation and um so she called the doctor and said can you please just go and talk to my mother and tell her that nothing horrible is going to happen to her because i really think this is going to help her And so he did, he went and he had a conversation with her and she was very skeptical and he showed her some research and said, look, this is not going to hurt you. Um, We can just start on uh, CBD. It's not even going to give you any kind of um, psychological effect at all. And she tried it and sure enough, her pain diminished. And she went from, you know, never getting dressed or putting any makeup on to suddenly being social again with, you know, hair done, makeup on, fully dressed and going out with the girls at the age of 92. So when you see that kind of miraculous healing take place, you realize this is a quality of life issue, even as much as it is a medical issue. And I, I just, I, I think that the work that you're doing in getting out there and speaking to people, because you do a lot of speaking at conferences um, and you know, advocating for certain groups that really could benefit from medical marijuana, such as the NFL players and um, the uh, Major League Baseball players, and others out there, and then of course dealing with your own patients in, in pain. It's just it. We need more people like you out there advocating for this movement, for sure.
3: How many um, How many uh, medical marijuana doctors do you actually have in to give the recommendations in the Phoenix area?
1: There are a number of um, clinics here, I'd say maybe like a dozen at the most, that are that are full-on um, certification centers where there are doctors that are on the premises. And then I'm sure that there are a number of other doctors that simply recommend that you go to a certification center. I mean, there's a growing movement here, and the medical community seems to be Uh, pretty well informed in general in this area I mean I shouldn't say that they all are but what I have noticed is when I go to events that deal with uh, medical practitioners I see a growing number of doctors and nurses and um, healers in general attending these events so it seems as though the awareness is growing within the medical community that's just been my observation well
3: if you Mm-hmm. We have um, a business director and everything for my company and things like that. If, if there's a need out in the Phoenix area for uh, a medical marijuana uh, certification center and or pain or addiction center uh, to treat these patients, um, if if you can, if there are a thousand patients out there that. Um, uh, and they need help and things like that, um, I will personally open up a clinic in in the Phoenix area. So if you
1: Yeah, if I if I hear of that, you know, we should we should continue this discussion because I think that, you know, there is a growing need. What what I what I believe is needed even more is just more education, um, more airtime in in places where people, you know, are in homes that listen to programs like this and won't actually go out and, and seek out information about cannabis you know it's just i think that it, it's important for it to reach mainstream media as much as possible and not just the cannabis publications or the cannabis online outlets you know it's it's just very very important and i think as more information gets out there into the public eye you know, the more there's going to be a demand for for clinics and that sort of thing, in places like Phoenix.
3: Absolutely. And if you, if people need help, um, you know, my wife and I are always uh, try to do the right thing and, and help people. So if there's a need, we will uh, do everything we can to help out in those areas. So if you identify a place, you just tell us, in and- yeah.
1: For you. Well, you know what? What's pretty interesting, I think, is that there are a lot of people in very, very rural areas that have absolutely zero access to cannabis and and zero knowledge about it as well. And those are the places where um, certification clinics and clinics in general with doctors who are aware of the endocannabinoid system. That's where they're needed, I think the most because you also have um, uh, some retired communities and it, it, I think that the need for um, elder care to begin embracing cannabis is huge and you know my history with my father too I think I explained that to you a while back, and he's doing very well by the way, but it it was um, it was a journey uh, to get any anyone on board with transitioning him off of benzodiazepines and and antipsychotics which were literally killing him to having a 100% cannabis regimen the only pharmaceutical medicine he's taking right now is just to keep his blood pressure up which is what he's been on for you know the last 20 years so i think that a lot of people in the elder community when the aches and pains start and um, you know other systems are are creating symptoms of pain it, cannabis is one thing that is a gentle uh, medication that is not going to have the same side effects as the benzodiazepines and the and the antipsychotics would
2: absolutely
1: so it's it's all very fascinating isn't it
3: it is <laughs> yeah. i'm just ready to help people that's
1: yeah, well, you know that's why we're doing this too. It's it, and it's so it's why I just so enjoy speaking to people like you, who are out there also advocating, you know, for the change to happen. And I think with with the discovery of the endocannabinoid system, there's um, so much more to learn about it. But I think with the discovery of it in general. Um, we're starting to see studies come out that not just for pain and not just for um, hunger or, you know, alleviating some of the side effects of chemotherapy and all of those things that, and epilepsy and things that are, that cannabis is sort of well known to help. They're finding that, you know, it's it, a lot of pharmaceuticals and a lot of different categories can be completely eliminated i mean some of these studies coming out of israel are just astonishing
3: yeah it's amazing
1: yeah so i believe it's poised to sort of transform the field of medicine in general and um you know hopefully we can get the lobbies out of the policy making so that you know clear sensible reform can happen and it doesn't mean you know that all the states have to go and free the weed.
3: <laughs> exactly,
1: but but at least the people who need it and people whose endocannabinoid systems are deficient, you know, at least that it can be accessible for people. And,
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, what is? Um, I mean, aside from from all that we've talked about just now, because we've probably got to start wrapping this up here pretty soon. Um, what are some of the most um, pressing things that you'd like for people who are skeptical and doctors, too? I mean, we have a lot of a lot of people of all different professional levels in our audience. Um, what are some of the most pressing things you'd like people to know?
3: That there's research out there. It's not a bunch of hippies out there making claims. There's um, uh, tons of research out there. And as you mentioned, Israel is one of the, the biggest... Uh, they've been using... Uh, medical marijuana and cannabis for forever. Um, so there is tons of research out there. The United States uh, is lacking a little bit, but uh, right now I'm talking to two companies about doing some research on pain and opioid use disorder and treating addiction. But we need to look at all the uh, advances, and then I think what we need to do is um, whether it's uh, Pharmaceutical agent, or it's a supplement, or something like that. I think we're going to have the biggest problem is is uh, the battle we're going to have with the pharmaceutical company, Big Pharma, uh, because they are going to want to monopolize it or keep it out and keep it illegal, so they continue to make you know billions of dollars on their pharmaceutical drugs. So I think that's our our biggest next step is just getting the research and educating the public and the physicians, and then our our battle with Big Pharma.
1: Yeah. I saw a study, actually today it was publicized for the first time. Um, We actually put it up on our website too. But there was a study done in Mexico, um, Dr. Sal Garza um, Mendoza, I believe his name is, he conducted a study with children and the efficacy of cannabis in treating childhood epilepsy. And... I put that study side-by-side side with another one that was done several years ago with Pedialex, uh, which is a childhood epilepsy drug that's a, a synthetic cannabinoid medicine. And the results, when you put those two studies side-by-side, side, were completely astonishing And especially when you start to look at the side effects and you compare those side by side, and for the CBD, there was absolutely zero side effect that was adverse. And for the there, 33% of them um, experienced severe side effects, and there was even a death in the study that had 100 children, and one out of 100 children died on pediolex. It's astonishing to look at it and then to look at the difference in numbers between those who actually reduced their their seizures, the frequency of seizures, and those who actually eliminated seizures using CBD compared with those who reduced or eliminated seizures using a synthetic version of a CBD. And that's a top-selling epilepsy medicine that's used on way too many children, and yet Pharmaceuticals do not want to, you know, give way for a natural substance because they're not going to make any money on something that's just a plant, really. But have you worked with any of the synthetic uh, C- CBD medicines like Sativex or, any, or Marinol or any of those? Have you h- had experience with those I, in your happens, practice?
3: Actually, my, my father has stage four cancer and he always would tell, when am I getting a... Marijuana. I'm not getting a can you know, Marinol and things for hunger and things like that. So I'm not real um, familiar with those. I know what they are, but um, uh, we do have a couple patients here, um, HIV or AIDS patients. A lot of times will be given Marinol um, for their appetite, so we do have a couple of patients on it. Vision, there'll be an attorney up there saying, "If you try, if you've been using this, and you develop this, so you know, anytime we keep things natural and not make something in a lab, uh, it's got to be beneficial." Just common sense.
1: Yeah. And how? What's the temperature in Missouri in terms of the political climate? Oh, it's, um, yes. it's coming up. Places that would like to pick up this show in Missouri as well, because anywhere where there's a vote coming up, it's just so important for people to uh, know and understand what this movement is all about. And it's not just for hippies anymore. It's it's and you know, South
3: Carolina is coming up for a vote too.
1: Yeah, I heard so about if there's,
3: um, we actually have a um, you know a marketing and media company too. So if they could help um, with anything. Uh, We'd, I'd be more than happy to volunteer my time I'm on television quite a bit, too, so um, we might be able to work together to get out there and, and educate the public. Yeah,
1: and it's, it's so important that people know and understand before they go to the ballot box because, you know, I mean, we've seen in a number of states that now have, uh, have full adult use uh, marijuana regulation a lot of those places voted no on even medical before people became aware, and as they passed medical laws, um, I think eight of them actually, uh, just in this last election season, passed um, adult use laws and first-time medical laws, and it was really just all about the education. So, you know, it's I think it's important to get the word out that way. But... Um,
3: ...connotation along, you know... Actually, having respected, uh, physicians, um in present it in a professional manner to the public, I think, is one of the, the most, most important aspects, you know, to it. Instead of, uh, going back to, you know, having nothing wrong with being a hippie, but having a hippie out there, uh, you know, promoting it, promoting it, a lot of the, that's just a turn off to the general public, but to actually have
1: I think that's the case in so many different things. I mean, look at just even this fight over whether or not to, you know, repeal the um, ACA. People who've never been without insurance couldn't possibly fathom what it's like to um, be a patient that can't go to the doctor because you either can't afford it, you're not insured or you can't meet a deductible or whatever. It's so difficult. And likewise with cannabis, you know, if they've never been in that situation to need it, you're so right.
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that um, we have a lot of work cut out for us. Absolutely. Those of us I'm who are to
3: help I can, advocating. But...
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, and it's such an important movement. And, you know, I'm, I'm really... Um, you know, I'm, I'm so touched by the enthusiasm of the people like yourself who are actually really in it, uh, in it to win the fight. And um, congratulations on all of that, by the way. I mean... It,
3: oh, you're the one doing it every single day. Thank it's, you. Uh, way more than I can ever even imagine doing.
1: Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, it's just one one step at a time, you know, and chipping away at the stigma, chipping away at... Um, the lack of information that's out there and it's just like, you know, one word at a time. Um, we just educate people the best we can. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I no doubt you and I are going to be talking uh, more um, in the coming future and I'm really excited to, you know, take a look at some of the studies that are on the forefront and all of that and feel free to send me anything. But um, I just got the heads up from our producer Wendy that we just have a few minutes left (laughs) so um great to see you again in person (laughs) yeah but uh I am so grateful that you were available for this and thank you so so much for um jumping on with us today this is really great and i'll i'll see you coming up at a conference or two i'm sure absolutely and um i'll definitely um post information about you on our website so time to wrap it up you have a wonderful
3: evening i can't wait to see you again
1: yeah i can't wait to see you too so thank you thank you thank you again Welcome. (laughs) That's Dr. David Tonkin sharing his insight and knowledge with us today. And if you want to learn more about the work that he's doing, please do visit us online. I'll put uh, information about him on our website. Go to thecannabisreporter.com, click broadcasts and find today's show. Um, There you'll be able to browse other topics as well. Many thanks to our producer, Wendy West and the team at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine. And I'd also like to say thank you so much to Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update. And I'd also like to express our gratitude for our sponsors, HempMeds.com and Zephyr Labs. Thank you for your support. We couldn't be here without you. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. Tune in next week, same time, same place for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. Until we meet again, stay safe. Stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day.
0: Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always
2: Pure CBD is a new and unique fresh tasting spray product which delivers an exact measured amount of the highest grade 100% cannabinoid oil with each spray. Each tube holds a 30 day supply when used as directed. No smoke, no mess. For discreet use, Pure CBD can be used anywhere. Pure CBD from Zephyr Labs.